everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This episode, we're going back into sketch comedy. Uh, we're now into the year 1992. We're going to be discussing the Ben Stiller show, the short-lived Edge that was on Fox, and a longtime show that uh, I'm apparently the only person who's ever even heard of. It's out of Seattle. It's called Almost Live. And um, a few big names came out of that. So we're doing this before we go into the next run of SNL, which is like, I think the run that you and I really like Oh, this is our show now. This is our cast. Yeah, no, totally. That the, the upcoming uh, cast of uh, SNL was, I think, you know, it's always it's always Pam in the beginning, but they consider that like the golden era, like maybe the second golden era of SNL. You know? Yeah, I think there's maybe yeah. four really, really strong periods, and that's probably the. Because uh, I feel like the you know when we talked in the last episode, it was the renewal, the one with Dana Carvey and all those guys saving the show. Yeah. I still don't think it was as strong and as, as memorable. No one really talks about those until like 89, which we did what? We did the 87 or 86 through 90 era. So the next one we're going to do like 91 through uh, the collapse in 94, 95. Yeah. But um, this is when sketch comedy is probably at its highest ratings wise. Living Color is a phenomenon. Uh, SNL is now being talked about nonstop. I, maybe the biggest ratings they've had since you know their initial run in the '70s, and um, it really seemed like a lot of people were chomping at the bit to bring you not you know like their stand-up comedy on Comedy Central. We're getting all these specials you know coming up, and so stand-up and sketch are really going through a huge boom. And I think the best of the bunch, and the reason why it's so memorable, and it won Emmys, I think it won an Emmy, was The Ben Stiller Show. Yeah, I remember tuning into The Ben Stiller Show. For me, that was an event. It was on, like, on Fox, and that was, like, kind of like a new, exciting network. And, uh, yeah, that was just, that's where I would go to see, like, you know, critiques on pop culture. His, his sketches were always spot on. It was a great impressions. And the writing was way ahead of its time. So, so funny. So it was... Yeah, it's, if I remember correctly, and I heard different stories for a while, but I think they both basically said, you know, Lord Michaels and Ben Stiller said it just wasn't the right match. Like, he loved the stuff that Ben was doing, but Ben never wanted to come in on the show. He never really wanted to do the live sketches, and the short films really weren't selling that well. It wasn't like the way it was in the old days with um, Albert Brooks, and like, yeah. um, what's the little clay guy again? Mr. Bill? Oh, uh, Mr. Bill. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't connecting or whatever, so he says, you know what, it's for the best, you just go on or whatever, and I think he had done some movies before that, but then SNL kind of changed his path, because if you look at the movies he did before that, they were all dramas. He was a bad guy in uh, Hot Pursuit with John Cusack, a bad guy, kind of a, a mafia schlub, whatever, next of kin with Patrick Swayze, and then he was just an asshole in Empire of the Sun. And I think he was trying to work his way in with comedy, and um, I remember he did a movie with George Carlin like the year before this show on Fox. It was like Garbage Men or something like that, where they were just like, you know, schlubs trying to get by. They were, they were hauling trash, but they wanted to get a better life. And that kind of put him in Fox's wheelhouse to develop this show. And I think it helped that he had Bob Odenkirk, you know, coming off of SNL, and he had some pedigree to him. But everybody else was pretty much an unknown. Yeah, I don't think I was familiar with Andy Dick or Janine Garofalo or, uh, you know, 
Uh, I mean, definitely not Bob Odenkirk. You know, yeah. Either. I mean, I, I, I had no idea he was even a writer. I think, you know, that's the thing, is you, you vaguely, you know, recognize uh, Ben Stiller's face from things. He, he, he looked familiar. I couldn't really place him. You know, but I've definitely seen him as a character actor in some things. But that's why, you know, from the gate, I really didn't know what to expect. I'm like, well, oh, let's see what Fox is throwing at me. Well, they're dipping their toes in sketch comedy. Let's, let's see what this is about. But yeah, I was, uh, you know, uh, pleasantly surprised. Some, some of them, some of the more memorable sketches I can think of, you know, from, you know, watching sketch comedy my whole life come from uh, the Ben Stiller show. It was only around for like, uh, I guess, what, one season? One yeah, 13 half? episodes. That was it. It's crazy. I think, I think it's because people were not ready for a sketch show that was all filmed pieces. There's nothing live. Even like the host, if you want to put them in quotation marks. Um, isn't live, you know, they didn't have anybody introducing, and that was a spoof of itself too, he would always have a celebrity on, and they would either cause chaos, or they would mock him, or whatever, or make him uncomfortable, stuff like it was never like a normal, he was really poking fun at everything that was going on in pop culture at that time, but here's the thing is, you don't even have to be from this time period to really understand all the sketches, because he's not really making them of the moment, he's just making, he's using what's current to express a universal kind of ridiculousness. Yeah, true. I mean, there might be a sketch or two that would be dated. Maybe not everyone knows who Andre Agassi is. Yeah, like, or that one, there's a commercial spoof that he does where it's like a dandruff commercial or whatever where his best friend is just saying all these snide comments and just being goofy. And he's like, I don't even know what the... What is he doing? I don't know. Let's just go. You know, that was... <laughs> if you had seen the commercial, you would have got it. But yeah, I mean, even like the, the 90210 uh, parodies... Um, were more about the absurdity of just a situation, not so much of the show. Because, like, the whole thing about him being a robot, thats that would—that still holds up today. <laughs> you know, what's funny is, like, The Edge and also did their own kind of um, parody of 90210. Yeah. So it, was, it was way more, way, you know, way, 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 I guess it hit way closer to home. Uh, I guess because also being on Fox and then they're making fun of... Uh, Tory Spelling, I think Aaron Spelling, I think he threatened to sue them oh. or something because they were like they were spoofing as and they were like, you know, clearly was like, clearly this is satire and Aaron Spelling has no sense of humor. But no, you no. Know, I think with one of Ben Flair shows was Melrose Heights. <laughs> because it was, you know, you know, a group of like it's mashing Melrose place and the Heights and Nine O Two and O. And the one, you know, the Heights had that they had like a, a single from the show like, How do you talk? To an angel. Remember the saxophone would always come in on these songs for just a couple seconds? We got soul, man. We're serious artists. Yeah, so anyway, they did a spoof of them, like doing a song at the end, you know, which, you know, just, I don't know, it was pretty hilarious. Yeah. Out of the two spoofs, I enjoyed the Ben Stiller spoof more, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. But I think they're both, like, they're different styles, too, because with The Edge, um, I'll, we'll go back to the Ben Stiller show real quick, but it's The Edge. Um, I think was tr- its problem was it had no particular voice. It was just trying to copy the outrageousness of *In Living Color* and then the current timely stuff of SNL. But it didn't have any. That's what makes the great sketches so memorable is because like *Kids in the Hall*, very particular voice, Mr. Show, and Ben Stiller and stuff like that. *In Living Color*, they were coming from a very particular voice instead of just being a generic hodgepodge. Of who's available? You know? Yeah, that's totally. Yeah, I mean, I mean, sometimes if you know if you. Yeah, guess who brought a net? It's it just you know your contents water down, and it's not that 
you know. I mean, I guess it's more relatable, but it just doesn't have the edge. It's not quite as funny. Yeah, and uh, so, yeah, this is our introduction to Janine Groffel as well. We haven't brought her up, I don't think. But just immediately a powerhouse. I think they were all stand-up comedians, but they were either, like, alternative comedians or they did, like, character bits. Because I had seen Bob Odenkirk do stand-up on Comedy Central, and I remember the best bit that he ever did was he had no material. He was really nervous, he was sweating, and he's just opening up packets of gum and throw them in his mouth and you realize slowly that he's just reading the little bazooka joe <laughs> comic and he thinks they're hilarious he's laughing at death and the audience is just like so confused with what's happening yeah doing like just some uh, comedic performance art or whatever you know that's pretty you know that's what uh, I think Fred Emerson used to do stuff like that he used to do like this kind of like bongo playing character and that was like his whole stand up bit you know back in the early days yeah well, I mean, the, the ghost of Andy Kaufman is in a lot of the stuff. That's true, yeah, yeah. The, um, the, uh, we also had Dana Gould, who was a writer for the show, but occasionally would show up. He would, he did the, um, uh, the Wilford Brimley oatmeal sketches. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, maybe my favorite stand comedian of all time, but he was always writing. If you saw, like, um, what's that one with the pooter balls, the, the MC pooter balls or whatever, and they had the mustaches, and, um... They find out that pooter balls are made from people. That's a Dana Gould sketch. So if it's ever creepy and weird, it's usually one of his. <laughs> it's like it's like heavily sci-fi influence. It's usually a yeah, or like the the Eddie Munster Cape Fear sketch. <laughs> that, was, that was a dark stranger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I and then David Cross shows up a little bit out of the ashes of this. Of course, it, we do get Mister Show um, because David and. Bob became really good friends on this, and then they would eventually, you know, do their own stand-up bits on stage and character pieces, and eventually that led to the the show on HBO. Yeah, I, I saw that one. I only got to see bits and pieces of. I never had HBO, but occasionally my friends were like, you know, show us. Game. You ever seen Mr. Show? It's amazing. You gotta watch. So I watched a few episodes with them. And yeah, that yeah. Was, and that that that's a hybrid of film pieces and live stuff too. So it feels like that was the perfect melding for the audience. Is it Ben Stiller show had been on HBO, which where it was originally I think set up because I think they produced it. Um, I think it would have been more successful. I think it would have gone a couple seasons or maybe three or four. You know. Yeah, it's true. You don't have the same pressure. The same sorry, the same pressure to uh, get high ratings like you had to have back at network TV back then. You really had to like hit the ground running. And be yeah. Like the next in living color immediately. Otherwise, you're dead in the water. You know. I also wonder if he fell behind too, and that could have been a Fox thing because he's got to film all these bits, and he he literally directed most of them. Um, and I can see that being time consuming and you know budgetary concerns that could slow things down for Fox, and, and another reason why they might have canceled. I think they even canceled it before they finished airing all the episodes. Yeah, that's, that, that, I mean that's really a shame because you know you, like, when you remember back, you just remember you know going on for a while. But yeah, just I, for some reason in my mind, I thought it was at least three seasons. But yeah, yeah it's, well, it's it's right after this when he gets nominated for the Emmy, um, he gets hired to direct Reality Bites, which I just watched, and it's so strange that they chose him of all people to direct it, and I don't I don't know where that came from. Do you know, that's one of those ones I've never seen. I, I remember, I don't know if I saw a clip from it where they're like dancing in a 7 Eleven or something. Yeah, yeah, to My Sharona. <laughs> Only Fred Murphy was half of that movie. Yeah, to My Sharona, that was it. There you go. Yeah, it's, it's one of the very first movies, I think it might be the first movie that Danny DeVito ever produced. And he must have seen the show and really liked it. Because he always seems like he has 
his thumb on, you know, what's cool in comedy, you know, that kind of stuff, like what's hip? And and Jasala said, yep, that's it right there. Because the way he did it with uh, It's Sunny in Philadelphia, he saved those guys. That's all I know. The road the video gets comedy. Always has, always, you know. I, you know, when, you, when, you, when you're a guy who looks like Danny DeVito, you're going you're gonna to want to lean copy. You know, you're not, you know you're never going to be like the leading man, so yeah. it makes sense. But yeah, he's gonna, he definitely has an, an, eye, an eye and an ear for comedy, for sure. Now, while the show didn't do very well, of course, like I said, the movie did very, very well. Uh, it cost like $10 million and made forty, And then he brought on um, Andy Dick and Janine Garofalo with him. Janine has obviously the big role. She's one of the main four characters. Um, and then Andy Dick just has a small part. But that, being successful, led to a lot of other things. Like, he was able to do Cable Guy, which I think now has been embraced as a big cult hit. Yeah. And, and Flirting with Disaster. And do you remember there was a short period of time where he was kind of mixing in darker comedies or just dramas? Because he did Permanent Midnight. And all of a sudden, fucking meet the parents. Look, some, some movies are so popular, uh, you know, they're comedies, and they're so generic. I think it's just because everybody can relate to it. Like, oh, okay, it's fine. But it doesn't hold up. Movies like that and this congeniality and uh, analyze this, I just don't know why they were so popular. But we're always aiming for like quotable lines. I guess, you know, I guess I guess that's what you kind of, I, at least that was the formula back then. You wanted quotable lines, you wanted water cooler talk, you wanted like, you know, you wanted to be like the next morning after like a Seinfeld episode, you know what I mean? So that's kind of what, that's, um, that's what there a lot of them were. A lot of movies were doing that back then, be your wedding crashers or whatever. There was like their, there's this kind of like you know you wanted those kind of shock value moments so. yeah but I feel like he was doing a lot of really good character work before that because like he shows up in heavyweights and you're like why would he this you know acclaimed guy who just came off a big hit want to do heavyweights because he got to do a fun character and it was with his friends that were making it I don't know if you've ever seen it but Judd Apatow wrote that movie yeah. well he, he, um, he did, wasn't Judd Apatow um, a producer on um Yep. As well. Yeah, he was one of the main driving forces behind that. Yeah, and that's what that's what I thought. Yeah, so I guess you know once you got that that uh, the Hollywood networking, you know, you could uh, ride that first. Yeah, and then Judd would go from um, would go from Ben Stiller to the Larry Sanders show. Of course, that was huge for cable, and would write Cable Guy and reunite with Ben Stiller, and they kind of come in and out of each other's lives. I think the one thing that Ben Stiller decided to do like 10 years ago was, I'm done. I'm done with these big comedies. They're not working at the box office. They're also just not working for me. And then he did like the Secret Walter, uh, Secret Life of Walter Mitty that he directed. And I feel like that's really where he found his groove, like in kind of more mature, uh, independent films. Yeah, what's that one? I've never, of course, I never saw any of these, but uh, it was like the Secret Life of, uh, well, not Secret Life, it was like something like Martin Greenbaum or something, where he was like this. Oh, yeah, Greenberg. S- Greenberg, okay. Yeah. Was, he was like some kind of snarky middle aged guy. Yeah, yeah. Like you could kind of sense that he was working his way back. He's like, I made my money. I'm going to be an international name for a while. He's got that new show on Apple TV, Severance, I think it is. That's, uh, that, that actually looks pretty good. I like yeah. that on TV, but. But he would fit in sketch comedy stuff here and there. where he Because Zoolander was born out of a sketch that he did for the VH1 uh, uh, Movie Awards or something like that. or uh, Fashion okay. Awards. It's, uh, Zoolander. Hilarious flick, for sure. That's like, you know, when he does, like, of course, I, part two, I, I don't even think I finished part two. Yeah, I couldn't. No, I got like 15 minutes into it. I, sometimes those long legacy sequels just do not work, especially comedy. Yeah. 
But, you know, and he did that uh, famous uh, sketch where he was um, Tom Cruise's stuntman. So he would fit in some character or sketch stuff here and there where he could. And I think he, I would like to see him maybe uh, shepherd, like, the next generation of sketch comedy guys. Like, the way Bob Odenkirk did with, um, what was that? Did he do The Whitest Kids You Know? I know he did a sketch comedy on some independent station for a while that he was producing. He put in something on IFC called The Birthday Bros. Oh, okay. And some of those sketches are pretty friggin' hilarious, man. I watched, you know, I was watching Pluto TV, and I just happened to have to go on the IFC scrolling through app. Like, birthday boys, what the hell is this shit? Yeah. And there was, uh, that's a, you know, executive producer by Burke. Oh, I'll give it a shot. It's pretty good. I, I don't think maybe it's another sketch comedy show that's kind of short lived. I'm not sure. Right, it was right. Like, I would say like 2012 to 2014, maybe. Like yeah, so while while Ben Stiller has been, you know, uh, uh, embraced, you know, the show has been embraced, it's on DVD, you can get it for super cheap, every episode's on YouTube if you want, um, The Edge obviously isn't, and like I said, I think only some of the sketches work. A lot of the rhythm of it is off, and it's from the guy that co-created uh, Get a Life, and I just wanted it to go a little bit darker and weirder, and it just, it, it feels like it wants to, but Fox is constantly intervening and saying, nope, 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 you know, make it more generic. Yeah, and, and there, there are some, there are some cool ones. You know, it reminds me of Mad TV. Like, yes, very much so, yes. Like, just, it's, it's somehow, it kind of shares a similar aesthetic. I can't put my finger on it, but... But uh, it's, but it's, it was a, uh, it was enjoyable. I mean, some of the sketches are pretty good. Some of the sketches are still relevant today. I, you forget how good of a character actor Tom Kenny is. Just oh yeah, just him being the voice of SpongeBob. Yeah, well, speaking <laughs> of really Mr. Show, show, out of the ashes of this, you know, Tom Kenny and his wife Jill Taley, Tally, um, would go on to join Mr. Show for most of its run. Right. Um, but I, I, I saw all, all that as well for sure. Yeah, I think maybe the problem is Julie Brown. She's like the Ben Stiller of the show, where she's like the central voice, and I don't particularly get her sense of humor. Yeah, she's probably. Uh, I mean, some of her um, some of her bits are kind of, uh, kind of hit or miss. She, she's a pretty good Lucille Ball, I thought. Um, some of the other ones. Uh, I remember, I remember watching them. Oh, I don't know about that. Yeah, and I don't, like, I don't feel Jennifer Aniston's right. For a lot of these guys, just don't feel like the rhythms off. Like Wayne Knight and Jennifer Aniston, they just don't feel like they fit in. Yeah, I mean, he, Wayne Knight's a strange one. Like, he, he, some of his guesses were okay. He played like this. Uh, he played a convincing like redneck exterminator, which is weird because I always think of him as like such a such like a staunch New York guy, but. But yeah, no, I, I hear what you're saying. He, he does seem like he's more like prone for sitcom. He's more of a sitcom actor. Yeah, yeah. Who I, who I was shocked by was Alan Ruck, who, you know, everybody knows this, like Cameron from Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Spin City and stuff like that. And I thought he worked surprisingly well with sketch comedy. Yeah, it's, it's like you can't, I don't think you could have that 90210 bit unless you call him in to be like the, uh, the Luke Perry character. Yeah, he, 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 he uh, he's, uh, I keep like, looking for at the beginning, um, opening um, uh, credits he's never featured they never show up yeah there, well there was like three people who constantly bounced in and out of the show there's Rick Overton um, who some people might remember from Willow he was one of the brownies uh, he's a stand-up comedian uh, Alan Ruck and then Paul Feig who you know everybody probably knows is a very famous director now yeah, well, I came. I saw one episode. I think I think Kevin Nealon was on one where he had to like, well, you know, he had to have uh, surgically uh, baboon's ass had to be surgically implanted on on him. So, which is weird because I because I think they were like, uh, I'm not sure what time the edge uh, aired, but I remember reading that they were somewhat rivals on Rival Network. I mean, you know, the rival time slot, but 
you know, it's pretty cool that Lauren Michaels allowed, uh, what's it called, allowed uh, Kevin Dillon to go on another show. And, uh, I, I think... Oh, yeah, you're right. He hadn't left because he was still doing... Um, I think yeah. this is the point where he turned over to doing uh, Weekend Update. Yeah, so I mean, Will Michaels, was, at least back then, was pretty famous for not la- allowing his performers to, like... Yeah, that's strange. Yeah. I wonder how that even came about because, yeah, he's real strict on it. I mean, that's why John Lovitz quit because he wanted to go do a movie. He's like, will you be back in time? And he's like, well, it's going to go over by two weeks. And he's like, that's the worst John Lovitz ever. Sorry. Um... <laughs> But uh, then he's like, well, you can't come back. And I was like, son of a bitch. <laughs> yeah. He, he, that, that, that was like a lot of the actors, uh, a lot of performers in the mid-90s. Biggest gripe with him was they weren't allowed to go off and do other projects. Yeah. And like, well, and they were getting paid <laughs> shit. And they wouldn't even let David Spade go do Doritos commercials. I mean, it's a fucking commercial. It wasn't going to interrupt anything. I remember him talking about that. He's like, he said he was so broke. <laughs> that would have just like really kept the lights on this place for a little while. But goddamn it, because he he wasn't appearing on the show that much. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, I would have quit if it was yeah. if my shoes. I'm like, you're offering me how much for commercials? Okay, well, fuck it. That's more than like three seasons worth of SNL. I'll screw it. I'm off. You know. Yeah, totally. It just made dollars and cents, quite literally, you know. Yeah. So, The Edge obviously didn't last very long. Thirteen episodes, I believe. It was shoved into the nine thirty on Sundays slot. Um, which was like a death spot on Fox. Anything after nine was like, mm, we're done. Yeah, unless you're The Simpsons, you're not going to make it on Sunday. Yeah, well, Married Children for the longest time was on Sundays, and they got moved to like Wednesday or something like that. But yeah, that was a, a, a tricky spot for a lot of people. It's like Friday nights on Fox, too. We, we talked about this years ago. It was like, oh, you're a sci-fi yeah. show? We're going to kill you on Fridays. <laughs> yeah, you're not going to compete with, the, uh, what's it called, the ABC's uh, Friday Night lineup. Yeah, TGIF. <laughs> um, so our uh, our third show is almost live. A show that was on for fifteen fucking years. Can you believe that? Fifteen <laughs> years. Well, this is the one, and I thought it was on Comedy Central way longer. So here's what happened: is the first like six, seven years of the show was re-edited into a best of package. And it was aired on Comedy Central from 92 to 93. That's when I saw it, obviously. Um, but I guess it just wasn't very successful ratings-wise, or, or, or Comedy Central just didn't feel like the rest of the episodes were up to snuff. But I think the show, actually, and maybe it's because you and I both live in the Pacific Northwest, I think its period, especially the period where Joel McHale was on, was pretty solid. It was pretty good. I was really pleasantly surprised. Of course... The production value was like low because well, it's from like an independent TV station, like uh, King. The, you know what I mean? Yeah. But I mean, I mean, I guess you'd have probably a similar production value to like a maybe a, a good YouTuber nowadays. But back then, that was that, that, that wasn't bad. But some of the sketches they did the, the cops at the University of Washington, hilarious. It was like, sir, like, I want to talk to you. Did you just treat that lady with respect? How who do you think you are? Let me check your blood alcohol level. You're not drunk at all. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, so I'm seeing it, it was kind of a weird uh, on and off. So originally it was a different host. It was mostly a talk show with occasional sketches for years. Then in 88 is when it became a sketch comedy show for an hour, and then it got changed down to a half an hour. And then finally they edited it down into the greatest hits while they were putting together new seasons. So somewhere along the way, you know, that's when it changed. The, the two famous people for, from this, of course, are Joe McHale, when he was super young. Um... 
and then uh, 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 Bill Nye, who whose famous character was Speedwalker. <laughs> he walked really fast. Yeah, yeah. So it's crazy. I was doing one sketch of like, like cops in Ballard, Washington. Which, you know, I guess you kind of have to be familiar with the area, I guess, or, or maybe you don't, because they kind of explain to you what Ballard's like, and I guess you know what normal places to like so I guess you can kind of put two and two together but he was the one like uh, Ballard patrol officer and he was like heavily Swedish influence but I think apparently he was still like an engineer at, uh, at Boeing or whatever huh and um, they, I think I read that they eventually had him on as like uh, some kind of science character and then of course he got picked up in 1994 as Bill Nye the science guy I, at one point they started referring to him as Bill Nye the science guy to believe on that show and then he had his separate show on PBS and then you know he became what he is but yeah he was still like a, he was still like an engineer at Boeing when they you know, part time or whatever, or whatever or did that show part time so it's weird I'm looking at this, and the show actually kind of refuses to die because even after it was canceled in '99, it got renewed uh, with the same kind of crew uh, for the most part and creators. Uh, called the 206, which is the area code for uh, downtown Seattle, and uh, lasted from uh, 2012 to 2014. They had some occasional specials, and then came back in 2015, 2016 as uh, Up Late Northwest, which was a, a sketch variety show. So, who knows? It might be back again. It had the same guys. Even Joe McHale came back and did occasional appearances. Yeah, who knows what I heard that? I mean, like, I guess back in the day, it would have only been in the Seattle area. But I guess, you know, with the internet the way it is, you can put that on YouTube or something. Yeah, like well, that's what happened was uh, they started putting the episodes up on YouTube, and it ended up getting lots and lots of views. And then people started talking about, like, this is really great. Will they bring this back? So. Now, now, how did you originally say it? Did you say it on Comedy Central uh, when it was, like, a compilation? Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, they did um, for one, one and a half years or whatever, when I first got Comedy Central, which was like January or February of 92. Okay. Yeah, and so, yeah, 389 episodes. That's bananas. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, I tried to find, like, the pilot episode, one of the early ones, so I can compare, like, the beginning from, like, say, the end. Or from, yeah, like, yeah, it looked like they were just doing the... Anywhere. It looks like the stuff that's up on YouTube for the most part is like the the culmination, all the episodes where they edited the good stuff together. So, yeah, I mean, there's some pretty good like like montages, like like they do the coffee montage because had I seen that back then, I wouldn't have gotten it because I didn't. I don't think I've ever seen Starbucks before 2000. Oh, okay. Uh, these all these coffee drinks have been fired to me, you know. All this like uh, espresso coffee culture, I would, wouldn't have understood that. But now going back now, now that I get, now if I watch it now, it's you know, seasoned eyes. It's that's it's funny. I would have been would have been puzzled back then had I been in Seattle for some reason to watch that. <laughs> there's a there's a reoccurring sketch they used for years where a bunch of the guys that were in bands up at the time. Um, they have members of Soundgarden with a bunch of other people, I think Mud Honey and stuff like that, and they're uh, they would say something like, "Yeah, that's oh, that's lame, that's cool, that's lame," and then they would say something like really super long. They'd be like, "What? What does that mean?" <laughs> but they they would use the same footage over and over, but with new questions and statements and stuff like that. And I just thought it was funny. I was like, "Do these guys know that they've been used in like fifty episodes? <laughs> Are they getting paid for this?" <laughs> Yeah, it's what it's what I was reading. At one point, they they went, they had musical guests similar to SNL, but then they just then they just did away with it. When yeah, they just made it kind of a tight. Well, the music scene was so of the moment at that time because we're at that moment where the, where the, when I saw the show, singles was coming out. Every band that was being talked about was from Seattle. You know, everybody was starting to move up there. So it makes sense why Comedy Central would pick this up because the Pacific Northwest was red hot 
it sells for sure. Yeah. You know, I uh, I, I miss a lot of the Pacific Northwest. Um, I don't. I mean, the rinks did suck, yes, but uh, it's just the prices became outrageous. It just that's the bummer part. I miss it so much. Yeah, I guess I guess the theory is. You know, it's all relative, uh, depending on what your what your pay is. But yeah, I mean, the problem is a lot of like you get a lot of people who come there and love to really drive up the price. Yeah, yeah. For affordable housing is it is getting tough to come by, especially closer to the urban areas. But I guess if you go, you know, east of the Cascades, things are a little more affordable. Then your quality of life isn't as good. Yeah, as I was say, because uh, that you, know, you go too far in, it's ugh. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, you definitely definitely pay. pay definitely you know get what you pay for but i just wish you know things for sure things were cheaper like they they used to be yeah but we're going off on a tangent has nothing to do with any of these shows so those are our three shows of course i i I think we're both in the agreement that you know the ben stiller is is the best one of the bunch yeah by like a country mile for sure i mean you know it's i I don't know how much influence but so had but such a had over like the edge you know they kind of I guess they were airing it, like, you know, at, at, at the same time, but, um, I mean, it, it's weird that they had these two kind of, if, if I could, you know, no pun intended, but edgy comedy uh, sketch shows, like, one was clearly so much better, you know what I mean, because I, I mean, at least one just stayed in my mind. I, I don't recall watching The Edge at all, you know, it's bizarre. It, it seems it seems familiar, now that I see it now, but, you know, I just didn't really have a lasting impression, certainly back then. Yeah, well, I remember... When Mad TV was only given like a 13 episode try, but they had also signed a contract in 95 or 96 with Roseanne Barr, and they gave her a sketch comedy show that she produced that took over from Mad TV for a little bit. And I get those two shows confused because I feel like they both had the same kind of cast and the same kind of generic rhythm. So The Edge and whatever whatever the fuck Roseanne Barr's show was called... Um, they, they, I get confused on them, but they're three years apart, so it's kind of weird that I, I would do that because I usually have like a pretty good memory on sketch comedy stuff. Yeah, I, I wish I had a nice catalog. My memory was like a nice catalog. Yours, like yours, just mine was just like this kind of collage of smeared, <laughs> smeared memories and tidbits yeah. from, like, from back in the day. But um, so the next episode we're going to be going into, like I said, that run of SNL from uh, nineteen ninety to ninety five. Yeah, definitely, definitely my favorite era. You know, whatever I think to this day. I mean, I mean, not to not to go off on a different show, but I like like the Chris Farley show. That might be my favorite sketch. <laughs> I had that sketch running through my head all the time whenever I say something stupid. Like, oh, why didn't you say that? You, idiot. Oh, <laughs> you remember that time that you were you know in the in the, the Beatles? Do you remember that? Yeah, I'm trying to find the the sketch comedy show that Roseanne produced. I know it exists, but all I'm getting is. <laughs> Oh, she's doing a new stand-up special for Fox Nation. Fuck that. <laughs> Whatever. Hopefully by next time I'll remember what it's called. But that is it, everybody. Uh, check us out on Facebook and Twitter and all your podcast hosts. Hit rewind and have a good whatever. <laughs>